Okay, if, uh, if we've never met before, I want to uh, send a special uh, greeting and welcome to you. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm really glad, especially if you are just finding your way into this community uh, for the first time, or maybe after quite some time of a break. Uh, we're really glad that you are here with this uh, people of God this morning. We are on the second uh, week of a very short three-week series that we um, have called Anchor. And what we're seeking to understand is what are the anchors of our faith? And because we have three weeks, we chose three. Probably some people could do four or seven, or um, I saw a list where someone uh, said, here are the 37 things that you must know. Um, we just have chosen three. And we started last week by saying that Jesus Christ is the premier anchor. Today, uh, today we'll talk a little bit about Scripture, and next week we'll talk about um, this faith lived um, as life together. Last week we looked at this passage from uh, Hebrews where, uh, we, um, as uh, Kelsey said, that our uh, Christ is our anchor behind the veil. And this is what we said about those three anchors as we got started. This is true about anchors and also about Christ, as we're about to find out also there's a way we can talk about these things that they're also true about Scripture. So the first thing is that the anchor keeps us from shipwreck. When we find ourselves in uh, deep and terrible storms, we can find our way through to tomorrow by the help and saving work of Jesus Christ. We also said that an anchor will keep our progress. Sometimes there are times when it maybe doesn't feel quite like a storm, but the, the wind is like, it's, it's in our faces. We can't make the progress that we think we want to be making in life. We're not sure that it all adds up, and at the very least, what we can say is Christ and Scripture and life together, they, they hold our progress, that we get to stand pat at least. And then my, uh, my personal favorite simply is this last one, that an anchor is working best when it's out of sight. An anchor works best when it is out of sight, which is sometimes good for us to know when we're in the middle of the deepest hardships, because it's, it's those times when we really want to see God in some huge, available, visible way but oftentimes, he's way, way down deep holding on for you. An anchor is working best when it's out of sight. And we'll use those same points for us today as we seek to understand and talk a little bit more about the Scriptures. But let's get started, shall we? And then we'll get underway. Gracious Holy God, thank you for uh, bringing us here today, right now. in ways that are obvious to us, but in more ways that probably we can never even see or understand. You have been tugging on our hearts and our minds to bring us together here. We take that as an article of faith. Would you show us why? As we sing your praises and come to you in prayer, and especially now as we hear from your word, would you show us why you've brought us here? Would you encourage and strengthen us? Would your spirit rest over us and in us? Would we be taught and readied for the days ahead? 
As it says in Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, okay, amen. All right, this is kind of a fun place for me to start today as we talk a little bit about the Scriptures. Um, let's talk a little bit about like, why do we wrestle with them? What, how do we understand them? Do you know what this number is? I mean, you can read the number. Yes, Eric, it's 1,084,170. That's not what I meant. Uh, this number, I used to uh, do this oftentimes when I was uh, working with students. Uh, this number represents the number of words in books one through seven of Harry Potter. Books one through seven, there it is, 1,084,170 words. And oftentimes this would come up when I was encouraging and asking and urging students to step into some sort of a habit where they get to read the Bible. That lower number there, 727,969, is the number of words in the NIV. My students were always surprised to find out that Harry Potter was almost 250,000 words more than the Bible, because many of them had read it three, four, seven times. See, we know that there's something important and significant about the Bible. Even people who aren't so sure they ever want to read it, they, they know that there's been something deeply important, even culturally, about the Bible, much less what we would say is there's deep spiritual core for us to understand as we approach the Bible. All the more now in the 21st century, many of us are confused about how we're supposed to approach and understand this book, or rather, should I say, collection of books. How are we supposed to think about it? When I was a, uh, when I was a, a young man, I was taught that the Bible is uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. Did you ever learn that? Did you ever read that? Uh, I don't necessarily recommend. Here's the problem with that. Now, the great thing about that is it's kind of memorable. You're all going to remember it now, Right? Um, and it does, it sort of like sets sort of a low bar. Look, this is just the instruction manual. Just, you know, everyone can read the instructions. The problem is, when was the last time that you carefully, meditatively let your toaster instructions change your life? Doesn't happen. So there's something that's not quite right when we want to turn the Bible into sort of like, like an instruction manual. There's also something kind of, of wrong with it, or we kind of wrestle with it when, when we find ourselves in some sort of an internal dialogue or with someone else where, where the Bible has, like we're, all of a sudden we're arguing it like as if it's a science book. Our culture often sort of sets up the Bible, this straw man, that it, it must not be true because uh, it's science is wrong. Actually... What I want people to know is things can still be true and not actually be found anywhere at all in science books. We don't have to, we don't have to embrace that understanding of what the Bible is as an instruction manual or, or as sort of like an additional science book for it to be true and good and right and beautiful. 
Sometimes we wrestle because we're in circles where we, we hear that Christianity and especially the scriptures are, are responsible for human suffering. That inside the pages of the Bible are uh, misogyny, hate for women. There's racist, a racist book. Some of us have been sort of taught and now we're kind of secretly convinced that what the Bible really is is just a, a collection of, of pre-literate myths that were eventually written down for suckers to read and believe. I've been in conversations and dialogues like that just, uh, just in the last couple of months. But friends, what I want to pose to you today is what if, what if all of those things are wrong? What if the ways that we allow the Bible to be talked about and the ways we allow sort of those suspicions to kind of work into our mind, what if that's actually not what the Bible is? What if we need to reconfigure and re-understand what this collection of books actually accomplishes? What does it do? How does it do it? Why does it do it? Now, you can imagine there are books after, this is the irony, there are books after books after books after books written about the good book that talk about all of these things. What I want to do today, very briefly, is just see if we can seek to understand what the Bible says about itself. Rather than taking all these outside expectations and try to layer them on top of the Bible, what if we seek to spend just a a few minutes today trying to see, well, what, what does the Bible say about itself? What are some of the things that it points to as a way to understand how it's supposed to operate in human life and in a community and in individuals? One of the most common places is uh, this Bible passage that uh, Kelsey started with today. 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Spirit of God has has breathed onto this book and has sought to give it life. We can maybe actually accomplish something that, that no science, no engineering No iPhone is ever going to give us, and that simply is an understanding of what it means to be righteous before God in and through the work of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how to live? Do you want to know the heart and mind of God? Do you want to know what really matters? And approach the Bible with reverence and fear and joy and anticipation. So oftentimes, I guess I'll, I'll say off script actually, we, um, we want our religion to work for our life. So often, we, we, this works for us so long as it reinforces what it is I want out of life. But friends, what I want you to know about the Bible is this. It is God's truth for those who live here in their beautiful, air-conditioned, well-manicured homes here in Boulder County. And it works for the family of seven and 400 square feet in the slums of Nairobi. 
because it is the very truth of God. Breathe with what he wants us to know the most. Now, of course, there are certain things that we can understand simply by sort of looking at nature. But the scriptures then go beyond what it is we can understand and see about God as we take a hike. The scriptures go beyond what it is we might be able to sort of piece together over time as we sit at the top of a chairlift. The scriptures have more to say to us than what we might understand as we sort of cast just one more time into the creek. The passage that I've been thinking about the most this week is this one from Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing just should paralyze you as it does me. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And friends, that actually is accomplished in Scripture. As we come to it and read it and think about it, absorb it, gorge on it, meditate on a phrase. So let's talk about those things a little bit. How does Scripture do this? What actually is Scripture doing? How can we understand why this constant insistence from Christianity that we come to read and know and appreciate what's in the Scriptures? Well, the first thing, friends, is Scripture keeps us from shipwreck. The Scriptures keep us from shipwreck. What I want you to know, friends, is this, is our life, we, we can be filled with self-deception. Did you know that? You know, we can be sort of filled with a way to sort of tell our story where, where it's actually not actually true. We, we find ourselves and who we are sort of on one of two planes. Either we're, we're, we're way better than we think. Well, I'm good. Yeah. Or the self-talk about who we are and our judgment and our, our self-understanding doesn't even allow for God's work in our lives through Christ. We can forget. We can forget both who God is and who we are in front of God. So in the middle of our, the storms of our life, we can find ourselves tossed to and fro and no longer anchored to the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. Now, this actually is true for people who are in the deepest despair. We can probably see that. But maybe something that's less obvious to you is it's also true for those who have had raging success. We often don't think about success as a storm. But it can leave us to disconnect from our spirituality. Our deepest and best successes, and oftentimes we even talk about them as sort of, you know, um, the winds at our back. 
right? We talk about them sort of like as the wind is like filling our sails. We're on the move. But what's equally true, friends, is oftentimes our success can convince us that we don't need the Lord anymore. We, we need to be reminded of actually who we are and how we've been made. We easily lie about ourselves. And as has been commonly said, the Scriptures end up reading us. As we look at the words on the page, we, we find out what life really is. cuts right to the heart of our self-deception. It uses this word of like a knife sort of cutting through all the way to what really, really matters. It's sort of like, it's sort of like getting a brand new Cutco knife. Have you ever gotten just a brand new Cutco knife or any knife for that matter? I remember this time, actually my son, we have this thing where when you are in third grade, you get your first pocket knife. And uh, I remember him, he was so excited. It's this tiny little Swiss Army knife, and he's playing with it, he's playing with it. And, and we told him what to do, and he did not do that. And, and before we knew it, he had this deep cut on his finger. Just closed it right on his finger. Dad! Now, what's interesting is it didn't really seem to hurt that much. And the image here, actually, is this, this cutting work is not the kind of work that's intended to cause pain. It's not the kind of work that's actually um, intended to sort of create angry judgment. It's like wanting to sort of expose the truth, to, to get to the bottom of it, to have a conversation between the Lord and you in a way that you, you can't always have um, just on your own thinking thoughtfully. See, the Scriptures, they, they tell a twofold story about humanity. They, they tell the glory of 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 God's deep love for us. They tell the glory of how we've been made. We've been made in, in God's image. But it also tells of the deep depravity and, and difficulty of being a human. It lays bare the reality that deep within the human heart is sin that we cannot get rid of. And as we read the Bible carefully, it's not just sort of this general sin. It gets very specific and in inviting you to really lay bare your life before the Lord that He might do something with it. Because without that, we live in a life of self-deception. Probably you know someone uh, who's a narcissist. Probably you know someone who's a narcissist. And their lack of understanding is so painful, it's, it's so hurtful, it's so sad to watch. You, you want them to have some sort of new self-understanding. And what I want you to know, friends, please don't take offense. In light of what God wants you to know about yourself, you are equally self-deceptive. You are equally narcissistic. You equally allow yourself to sort of make um, excuses for everything you do, putting yourself in the right, very self-focused. And the Word of God sort of lays that bare and says, let me show you another way. Let me show you a way that you might actually um, live with a new kind of understanding so that your life is not shipwrecked. The other place where we can go wrong and sometimes we can find ourselves in, in deep trouble is the way we actually think about um, God. 
Here's another place where, again, there are obviously so many ways we can discern and understand the character and power and creativity of God just through the stuff that's around us. The Scripture has an additional story. See, if we just did that, Alfred Lord Tennyson, he had this this, uh, famous line that um, nature is red in tooth and claw. If we look around, what we see actually is that violence always wins out. What we discover and what we see as we sort of survey human history and as we read the headlines, what we find out actually is that um, it really is a survival of the fittest. That there really is simply just this raw, violent, never-ending competition where we all end up as dust. And it's easy to buy into that myth. But when we find ourselves anchored to Scripture, we find that there is a, another story, and it's, it's driven throughout the pages. I'll just give you a couple examples. If you, if you were to go to Psalm 136, what you see is this constant refrain. Every single line, God has taken care of us. God has fed us. God has made a path for us. And at the end of every line, there's this refrain, His love endures forever. Friends, that's the story we need to know and remember because we easily forget. We easily want to turn our life red in tooth and claw. We see it again in in the New Testament over and over and over again, but especially in this this moment, the opening pages, the opening words even of, of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that that Word pitched His tent with us in the flesh, that that Word came to be with us. In the person of Jesus Christ, the Word took on flesh that we might know Him and understand Him in a way we never could without this extraordinary gift. This idea of of cutting, we also see in this uh, short little passage from James chapter 1. It's a chance for us to listen to it and let it reflect. It lays bare in the image of a mirror. Have you ever looked in a mirror and thought, well, when, when, did, when did that happen? And you, like, I have these bumps on my nose. I'm not sure when they got there, but I can tell you when I noticed them. Now you're all going to notice. Great. <laughs> I don't know why things just come out. James says this, as he talks about our exposure and understanding of God's Word, he says this, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Actually, do what it says. Let it inform your life. Let it cut to the marrow of your habits. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately forgetting what he looks like. So that's not what's supposed to happen as we come to the Word. It's supposed to sort of show us something that we can reflect on going on. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, anyone who seeks to really dive into the Scriptures as our anchor and continues in it, 
not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Because the scriptures reflect back for us what we most need to know about ourselves. And if we don't approach the scriptures, we don't get to know those things. We don't get to see those things. So the scriptures, they, they keep us from shipwreck. They keep us from living a ruined life where we're not sure of who God is or who we are or how the two are meant to come together. Without that hopeful word in Christ, we are shipwrecked. Our life is in ruins. It might not look like it. Not here, not on earth. But as the Lord examines our lives, we're a wreck. Come to the Word of God. Learn to trust in what it shows you about yourself and about the Lord. Look in the mirror and be hearers and doers of the Word. Because that's how you keep away from the destructive rocks. Keeps us from shipwreck. The, the next thing that it does, it actually is it, it maintains, it helps us to, to keep our progress. Scripture helps to maintain our progress. And so we keep on coming to it on a, I hope, I pray, on a daily, regular habit and practice. I really love this uh, passage from uh, Psalm, uh, the first Psalm, just the first three verses. Here it is. Blessed is the one who does not uh, walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law, on his law, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosperous. I shared with you last week that there are only uh, three places in the entire Bible where the word anchor is used, but the word rooted and the metaphor of roots is, uh, is much more common. And the idea is actually the same. There's something that sort of digs down so deep that we, we find ourselves secure regardless of the weather pattern. And the psalmist here, at the very beginning of the psalms, he lays out this, this understanding that when we find ourselves regularly coming to the Bible... It's like we are a tree planted by streams of water. Have you ever been on a road trip and you, can, you know where the water runs? You might be looking at a, you know, you might be, let's say, in the middle of Kansas, and all you see is like scrub brush forever, because I think that's what Kansas is made of, or at least New Mexico. And then all of a sudden you'll be driving and you'll see this one little spot where there's all this green shrubbery and there's a, there's a couple trees. And, and what that's about is this. And this would have been especially compelling to those who were um, in, in Jerusalem and in Israel. What that indicated was there's water right there. That's where you can have life. In the middle of everything else that actually looks like it's just scrub brush. It looks like there's not life there, that we can't survive there. If we find ourselves planted by the Word of God, it's like we've been planted, a tree planted by streams of water. Our roots, branches, leaves are given life, sustaining life. 
Now, what's going to happen if you pluck that tree and say, I think you've had enough water. I'm going to move you 200 yards that way. See, that's why we keep on coming back to God's Word, that it might continue to water and nourish and prepare us for life. But the thing that's so interesting to me is this second idea about which yields its fruit in season. Oftentimes, we want our faith in Christ, we want whatever our spiritual practice is, to be instantly fruitful. Don't we? Don't we lose patience if things don't happen on our timeline and the, the way that we want them and how that we want them? But friends, that's not the image of what actually happens as we come to the Scriptures. As we anchor ourselves and find ourselves rooted in God wor- God's Word and being nourished and fed by the streams of life, what actually happens is this, is, is our fruit actually it comes in season when it's ready. Maybe now is not a time of readiness for you. Maybe this is not a time of fruitfulness. What do you do? Keep yourself planted by the stream of water. Are you surveying your life right now? And you're wondering, what is this really about? What will this amount to? The the things that I'm hoping for and praying for, they, they haven't come. Well, friends, following Jesus is not like algebra. It doesn't always yield the outcome you want when you want it. Those who meditate on God's law, they're like a tree planted by streams of water. And we'll yield our fruit in season. The the anchor will will help us to keep our progress until it's time for us to come into full blossom again. Do you find yourself waiting Do you find yourself wanting another season of fruitfulness? Friends, it'll come in its season if you don't replant 200 yards away. See, Scripture is is an anchor that helps us to hold our progress. It's a place where we get to know and learn about Jesus Christ. So Scripture is a place that keeps us from shipwreck. It helps us to maintain our progress as we wait for another season of uh, fruitfulness. And then finally, uh, Scripture uh, works best um, when you can't see it. When it's become hidden in your heart. And it begins to direct your path and your steps even when you don't have the book open on your lap. Uh, When I was a very brand new believer, I think I've shared this a couple of times, um, I was in a fraternity at Washington State University. um, And it was a um, wonderfully challenging experience. Uh, Especially on the week when we went through our initiation rites which I, I really, I'm not going to share with you, but um, they were rough. Long, long, long hours of uh, standing there and, and um, receiving all sorts of wonderful insight from um, men barely older than myself. And to be honest, because I'd never experienced that, that's not actually how I even knew my fraternity brothers before the, the week of um, our initiation. I was I was so confused about what to do. 
and I don't know why. I, you know, I was so new in my faith. I didn't know these kinds of things can and should happen. I, I just found myself as I'm like standing there, exhausted, getting uh, all kinds of fun things happening. I just found myself over and over and over again saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven over and over and over again. I'd had the word planted in my heart. And in this moment of this completely confusing moment, I, I, was, I was able to say, Lord, in light of all this thing that's, that's happening right here, I'm still eager for your kingdom to come. That's what I want. I don't want this. This is trash. I will never be part of this. And I wasn't. I will never do this to another human being. The Word of God was planted in my heart. It was working best at a time when, I, when I, I couldn't open the Bible. That certainly would not have been allowed. Probably you've read stories, as, as I have, that um, men, uh, mostly men, um, who find themselves as prisoners of war, they, they find themselves actually quoting whatever scrap of Scripture they can remember back and forth to each other as an expression of the hope that God sees them and knows them and loves them in the most terrible of circumstances. That's the Word of God at work as an anchor to the soul when it can't be anywhere near us, when it has to do its work, when it's hidden. Uh, one of the very first uh, verses that I learned to hide in my heart was um, Colossians chapter 3. And the opening line is one that I, I come back to. I probably quote it to myself at least multiple times a month. Because here's the thing that I want you to know about myself, and probably even you, you've already determined this by the way I sometimes talk about my own life. I have a problem with coveting other people's lives. I do. I see the things that my friends and my church members and the people in my life elsewhere, I see what they do, I see what they get, I see what they're able to accomplish, and I'm like, well, I want that. Do you do that? Do you have some version of that? That's, that's like one of the top ten commandments. Do not covet. And I do often, regularly. But almost as regularly, this passage pushes it out. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you have received the new life possible in Jesus Christ. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things as the verse continues. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. As I say that to myself, I find myself breathing new air, new freedom. The scriptures have once again read my life. They're like, I know what you're going to be about, Eric. Can you, in the middle of your own covetousness, can you, could you remember to set your heart on me because I am the purest and greatest and best reward. 
set aside your petty desires that just equal to sort of wanting to play a different competition. And instead, set your hearts on me. Scriptures work best when we have absorbed them enough where they can remain hidden in our hearts. I have a friend who uh, <clears throat> shared that uh, she lived a life of, of just great fear and feeling unsteady and, and um, not sure if she was going to be able to uh, even walk across campus. And then she felt both compelled and convicted and reminded by this passage from Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things, not your worries. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Can you imagine if you have that hidden in your heart, how, how that might um, alter the circumstances when you find yourself afraid? Can you imagine how it redirects your thoughts and your imagines if you find yourself sort of uh, exposed in some way where you're, you're scared, you feel unsafe, you feel attacked? Think about these things that are noble and pure and right and praiseworthy, and the peace of God will be with you. See, the Scriptures, they, they keep us from shipwreck. They help us to hold on to our progress until another season of fruitfulness. And they work best when they've been hidden in our heart. They are part of what lets us know about the surest hope we have behind the veil, Jesus Christ. We're going to spend a, a few minutes uh, in prayer here in just a moment. But in this next couple moments of silence, I'm just going to, to ask you to consider this question. How can you find yourself anchored to Scripture in a deeper way this week? How can you find yourself anchored to Scripture in a deeper way this week? Let's just spend some quiet time with the Lord, and Kelsey will be up in just a minute to pray.